Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick and mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher in a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. And if I read that, a little bit quicker than usual. It's because we're going uh, with a little different format today. Uh, it is my great pleasure to invite into the show the award-winning magazine writer, former colleague of mine at Bleacher Report, and first-time author, if I'm not mistaken, Matt Sullivan, who has written the book Can't Knock the Hustle Inside the Season of Protest, pandemic, and progress with the Brooklyn Nets superstars of tomorrow. So, with great pleasure, welcome, Matt. What's up, Rick? Good to see you, man. Yes, indeed, indeed. So, give us the prologue to the book and essentially how it came to be that you spent what appeared to be quite considerable time with the newly formed Brooklyn Nets. Too much time, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sick. I got Nets brain drain as a long-suffering Knicks fan, and you know, New Yorker, Dukey, uh, worked with you at, at Bleacher Report and a bunch of other kind of beyond the game thinkers to really put together a lot of these notions in my mind of player empowerment and influence and social, and I just saw a lot of that coalescing on what Woj called quote the clean sweep that day uh, two years ago, two summers ago, when KD, Kyrie, DeAndre announced their intentions to come to Brooklyn, I think is my reporting. A lot of others bears out. And as anybody who knows how this stuff works, you know, they, they decided it quite a long time ago. But yeah, I was just, I was walking down the street in Brooklyn. My former neighbor, Jay Williams, and I uh, were talking on the stoop. I was picking up my dog's poop and he's like, man, this team's got a lot of characters. And I'm like, yeah, but they've kind of been overwritten ad nauseum. And we agreed, you know, the real truth about these guys hadn't been out there. And I was kind of surprised that they were coming. And then my, my reporting showed that 
there was no surprise at all. You're actually in the book, Rick, on, on page seven, uh, where Kyrie's got all these voices in his head and you know, all the wondering on, on Instagram and Instagram right. comments. And, and, and it says here, on TV, when you start to connect the dots, it says nets, but really? <laughs> I think here we are, really. We, we really are here, finally, hopefully, on the, on the cusp of a nets dynasty that's been a long time waiting. Yeah. And so uh, your access uh, in reading, I'm halfway through the book, I'll be honest, I have not finished it, Um, look forward to it. But your access and your ability to describe a lot of behind the scenes events, uh, whether it was in the course of these guys coming together, or even other incidents, Kyrie meeting with Kobe, etc, was really extraordinary. What, how, how did you go about uh, gaining that access? Well, I just kind of knocked on the door of the Nets, said, look, this doesn't need to be the full money ball, but you have some really impressive characters who represent things beyond the court. And I said, you know, I won't tweet anything for two years. I'm not here for scooplets. Uh, I'm here for context. And I think that was really appealing to a team that is pretty secretive uh, in terms of its PR and what it leaks out to the New York media, how it protects its players, and to these players who have been, I think, had animosity toward the media. And so that was kind of my deal. They said, here's a press pass, show up to the game, show up to practice. We won't get in your way. You know, GM Sean Mark said, earn trust and you'll get what you want. Hmm. I think I probably got a little more than he wanted me to get, but that was just by virtue of, you know, really being intellectual peers with a lot of these players rather than out here to talk X's and O's, which when I was in the sure. locker room, I basically never did. Right. Well, and you, but, but you, you, you clearly, uh, you got some insight and some access to, I know Kevin Durant comes off as being sort of standoffish, but if you appeal to him in the right way, he suddenly is, will be more than, uh, willing to participate. Uh, I don't know about Kyrie. That's guy, that's the guy among all of these guys that I probably know the least. And I got the sense that you were able to take a pretty deep dive with him into his thinking and just his, you know, his, his lifestyle, essentially. I tried to be fair to him, right? I, I think he is genuinely and perhaps rightfully so pissed off at the media for being out to get him, villainizing him for years. But I think I caught him at the beginning of really an adult maturation process where he was leaving the flat earthers you know, stuff far behind and still trying to put, press buttons, still trying to question the system, question why the hell are we still in China amidst all the Daryl Morey tweet stuff? Um, why are we treating this as more than a day job? You know, and I think that's been a big thing for him is he disappears for days at a time. We know that from following him closely in, in Boston and beyond. But I think he found a place in Brooklyn that would let him be him, let him disappear, which he has done many times, but do that on his own terms and take a day off here or there, a mental health break, a really long mental health break. And I just tried to give him a fair shake and, and ask everyone around him, you know, what, who's the real Kyrie? What are these secret humanitarian acts beyond just, you know, buying a house for the family of George Floyd? That's that's no small deal. And he just did that off the cuff. One day he wrote a $250,000 check. And I think that's who he wants to be, who he is. And sometimes he just doesn't quite maybe uh, focus on giving as clear a message about what he wants to be. And so he's misinterpreted because everything is chopped up into tweets and sound bites. And I think sure. here were 350 pages where I could 
help him articulate his vision beyond the court. Did, did he ever express any regret to you about anything? Because as you said, like there's been misinterpretations or, I mean, he's a difficult guy for me to put my arms around or to kind of fully, like I can say, okay, that was great. What was that? Like, and, and so being off balance with someone uh, for me, I, it struggles with me kind of fully grasping and appreciating the better side of them, or it gets in the way, shall I say. And I think that's, I don't think that's uncommon for a lot of people when it comes to Kyrie. I think when he got, got to Brooklyn, he was very upfront and said, you know, there were certain issues in his past in Boston that he didn't seek therapy for. I mean, that's a big thing. He, he was openly speaking about yeah. and breaking down stigmas about mental health. And look, in Boston, I think there's no doubt that he was a shitty teammate some days, that he was doing things on his own terms, that he was, as my reporting bears out, in the room with Kobe, you know, pissed off at Brad's schemes and doing his own thing and being another, you know, Kobe-esque, being the asshole in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And they rest in peace, but, but, but that was, he had that Mamba mentality. And then he went on this vision quest. He was hurt the summer of 2018. He and KD go on an entourage Vegas vacation. He goes to Seattle to rehab for the summer. Uh, he reconnects with his Sioux roots at Standing Rock. And he's all in on Boston until he's not. And his grandfather died. And I think he blames a lot of that. But I also think he was losing control. And Jalen and Jason were coming up and, and rising up. And it was, again, not on his terms. So hmm. I think he probably regretted not having control. And that that's, I, I think the main theme of my book ultimately is control. And we talk about player empowerment, but this was an example of a guy having no regrets about seizing a franchise on his own terms, doing that with KD and not letting any outside noise affect them, or at least trying to, because clearly it still does. Yeah. It's, it, 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 the book is, uh, interesting for me in that it lays out the guys who I believe have the greatest wherewithal to have voices and to speak out and have impact beyond the game are the ones that seem to be the most reluctant to do so. And the ones that are like, well, this could cost me my career if I go, if I go as full bore as I'd like to. And I feel as if Kyrie is somewhere in the middle there. Where I think from a financial standpoint, yes, he can afford to, if it all went away tomorrow, he'd be okay. On the other hand, um, does that, how much does that take away his platform? And what is he ultimately looking to accomplish? Did you, am I, am I reading this correctly? And what was your, what was your takeaway as you kind of, walked along. I mean, I just I found it fascinating. Jay-Z, LeBron, like any number of guys who in, were viewed in one way in, in terms of their impact. And then you kind of pulled the curtain back and said, yeah, but they could have done this. Exactly. And I, I, I think you're totally right. There's that kind of mass audience, A-list LeBron category. There's not a lot of people, but there's a tremendous amount of influence. And Samaria Rice, the, the mother of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who um, was shot by a cop for basically carrying a toy gun in a, in a playground uh, miles from where the Cavs played. She was telling me it's a dangerous game, right? And, and LeBron can't use his influence to march up Capitol Hill or, or risk that Nike money, even though I, I would argue and others have that, you know, the Kyries and even Kaepernick's and, and, and LeBron's of the world 
don't have much to risk because they are in total control of the Nikes of the world, ultimately, at, at that level. And then you've got the Jalen Browns of the world, right, who probably would have taken a knee if they weren't on rookie deals back in 2017 when Trump's going after the, the Warriors and LeBron's calling them a, a bum. But Adam Silver is, you know, sending a chilling effect down throughout the league that if, you know, they took a knee, even though Steve Kerr and, and Bob and the Warriors were saying, look, go ahead, take a knee all year long if you want. But there was a kind of trepidation there which comes down to money, just like the Mori stuff in China, right? And so there is that wall. I think Kyrie has the ability to permeate both sides from the A-list and from that kind of leftist progressive wing to bring those together. That's what he wanted to do in this kind of you know, boycott of the bubble that was kind of misbegotten or rushed or mm. all over the place. And that's, I think, a lot of where he's at is he is a little all over the place and he has trouble bringing people together even though he's fighting the good fight, I'm just not sure he knows how to do that in public so much as in private. And so that's a lot of the push and pull. And I think I wanted to explore a lot of these themes. I had experience, you know, investigating every police killing in America before I got into sports journalism. And I was asking questions of, about this stuff of these guys before George Floyd died, before the protests, you know, and I fell into the history books here. And I think, there are limitations to activism, to athlete advocacy, unless you're willing to push buttons. And I think Kyrie's got a lot more to push. Yeah. He's, uh, so I, I'm going to ask you a current event uh, happened uh, post, post book. So Kyrie comes out and he trashes his the latest version of his signature shoe. What were you thinking when you saw that story? I mean, you can't trust everything that a persnickety superstar is saying in IG comments. Okay. Uh, signature shoes take a long time to put together. Nike is very attentive to the design demands of people at that level, yeah. and especially Kyrie. Yeah. He's been, you know, he's been evolving from the guy who would have his agent make the shoelace colored designs to having his Nike designer do a presentation to the agent, to the entourage. And Kyrie's like, no, man, yo, this is my shoe. Listen to me. Talk to me. Okay. And so I think he's taken that control back. But, you know, there was some stuff when Kobe passed away, he wanted his shoe to be a little more like Kobe's in terms of being more of a performance shoe rather than this kind of lifestyle shoe that even my toddler daughter wears the SpongeBob pink Kyrie's. And so I, I wouldn't look at it as some war and, and Kyrie has since very much walked it back. I'm sure the Nike lawyers were uh, not, you know, knocking on his door. But I think it just goes to show that he's willing to not only you know, show up to a SpongeBob sneaker release in other shoes or make his sister make a pair of his shoes because she's the influencer in his mind. And so I think it's these little things that he wants to have control of. He wants to be this writer, creator. He's directing a documentary about himself, apparently, right? And so this is who he is. This is a little bit of flat earth, vision board, beautiful mind, Kyrie. And sometimes he doesn't give a shit what they say at Nike in Portland, right? So who, who yeah. Um, I mean, did you come away from it? Like, what were your feelings ultimately after you finished the book? What were your feelings about Kyrie Irving? So our last kind of major exchange that was printable, shall we say, um, was a, a, a DM conversation where he, he and I were trading links about heady stuff about politics and indigenous culture and rights. And it's a, a little before a game 
when he should really be out in layup lines. And he sends me a DM with a 67 page Supreme Court ruling from like 60s or 70s about indigenous land rights and says, keep the truth alive. I'm like, okay. And so I read it during the game. And then I noticed as I had been noticing during the season and kind of left the book behind, this was right before we closed the book and Kyrie, KD and DeAndre had been skipping the national anthem, right? And, and this to me was, I didn't want to read too much into it, but I asked him, you know, what's the deal with this? I don't want to read too much into it, what happened? And he started typing, his bubbles were there in the ellipses and they were gone, they were gone. And he kind of just left it to me to, you know, keep telling the truth, the world needs it, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. And so I just thought it was interesting that he didn't come out and say, you know, this is the fight I'm fighting for. It wasn't like Kaepernick kind of explained himself. Um, he just skipped it. He would leave before the layup lines and come back when the when life came up for starting lineups. And that, and that to me was a real Kyrie act. You know, this was precipitated by the Capitol riot, the lack of charges against the cop who shot Jacob Blake, which you'll remember forced the bubble strike by the Bucks, which a lot of people said made Kyrie look like he was right all along in wanting to boycott the bubble. So it's just this kind of silent, shadowy, wannabe activism that I think, you know, I got plenty for the paperback edition uh, epilogue here because he's still on this vision quest for sure. Yeah. So, and, and among all the, all the players or people that you interviewed or got to know who changed your view of them the most in writing the book. Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's say Garrett Temple, who uh, you know, left the team for, for the Bulls this past season, will be going home um, and playing for the Pelicans next season. He's just a really interesting guy in that he uh, comes from a family of um, you know, breakthrough from segregated basketball in L- at LSU. He played through a protest that almost shut down a game after a police killing in Sacramento a few years back. And Garrett and I would be at a community event. He'd take me back to his place. We'd talk politics for hours in, in his bedroom. And I was talking to him on election day when it turns out KD, Kyrie, Chris Paul were playing with Harden in Kobe's old gym, just kind of the recruiting happening in, in earnest. Hmm. The world was on edge. Garrett Temple's changing his kid's diaper. Uh, and he says to me, you know, we're getting deep on Kyrie, what's going to happen next year. The bubble was over. Are you going to play with this team? And he says, players have a lot of say nowadays in this league. And I said, okay, well, wh- what are you talking about? He's like, what's up with Kyrie? And he said, he told me he hadn't talked to Kyrie since they disagreed on whether or not to go to the bubble. And that famous kind of Kyrie, the disruptor call, right? This conference call yeah. with a bunch of the disruptor types and the compromiser types. I think Garrett... As a compromiser who wants to go out there and speak in press conferences and, and do the, you know, do the good work, fight the good fight out in the open. And, and Garrett said to me, quote, players in the leadership, if you go against what they want you to do, then they won't want you back. If that's the case, then I don't want to be on this team. But Kyrie is the enigma of the century. So who knows? So I think that's interesting, right? I mean, 
that yeah. you could be forced off a team, not necessarily because of your political views, but because you challenge the big dogs, even if you're one of these veteran championship mentality guys. And it's that volatile, as we're seeing in free agency this year, that the big dogs want their exact friends, right? LeBron's getting certain kinds of his guys in there when I'm sure Rob Polinka doesn't really yep. need yep. Anthony. Right? Yep. Yep. No, well, and and I don't know if it was inspired by your book, but I feel as if I just heard or read something about Kyrie not wanting players on the team that don't have similar viewpoints. And it wasn't about how to play basketball. Yeah, uh, that's, I, I think that's that's exactly from this. And, and the same went for in the fallout from that bubble stuff. He was suggesting on a team group chat, which had been full of laughs and links and talking politics and emojis and, and what have you with the Nets team. And after the, the bubble boycott stuff, he was like, we got to take the power back. This is our league where the league is nothing without the players. Hell, we could start our own league. I think that leaked. And once it did, Kyrie left the group chat. The, the veterans left the group chat. A lot of the younger guys who were kind of like, what the hell is up with that? Mm -hmm. They never talked to Kyrie again. They disappeared from the team. They got traded for Bruce Brown. So, you mm -hmm. know, some of this stuff is, um, I, I mean, maybe to you and me, it's, it's expected, but I think to really see these guys live and breathe it and feel that blowback in their careers and their families yeah. upended because of one thing they said to Kyrie in passing, um, it's pretty dramatic to see fallout in real time. So how do you, as a, as a sports fan, uh, feel about when you, and coming away from everything you understand now, about the empowerment of players. Cause as we just talked about sort of the political machinations within a team that, I mean, as we know, you know, for any sports writer, like you get into it cause you have a passion or a love for sports. And then you, you, you're almost immediately introduced to the dirty side <laughs> of, of sports that kind of takes away the gilded view of, of what it is. Right. And, and, which I think is why so many sports writers end up being salty and bitter because it's like they're, they're, the curtain is immediately pulled on the thing. They're like, wait a minute. No, this isn't the way I got into this. And so I, I wonder for you in, in exploring this subject um, and being passionate as passionate about some of the non-sports elements to it as the sports side of it, how, how, what was, what was your feeling coming away from your deeper knowledge of player empowerment and how it has affected uh, the game? I had a nice conversation with Dr. J in, in some ways well, may always be the most powerful net and, and who you'll remember flexed his own player empowerment back in the day. He didn't want to play for the team that drafted him. He wanted to go to like yep. Atlanta and, yep. and then he, forced his way into the hall of fame with, with, um, with Philly. And so he was talking By the way, me, just the way Dr. J speaks sounds, makes everything sound important, makes everything please. sound like, Oh my God, this is the James Earl Jones gets the credit, but I, you know, Dr. J is right there as far as the voice of God. No doubt. I won't try to do an impersonation, but he was telling me we were going, we were talking about back to the decision, which is kind of where the flashbacks in my book begin and then thread over, over the course of a decade. And he said, there's a responsibility that comes with the territory, the building of the super teams. What happened in Miami, what exists now is definitely player driven and very self-serving. I'm not hating on it, but there's a difference. Service to yourself and service to the game. And so that's what I came to think about as this 
you know, quote, the real player empowerment, right? It was pushing it forward to the next generation so that the next LeBrons of the world, you're already seeing it with kids who are going to the G League and, you know, screw the NCAA. I'm going to make money on my own terms. I'm going to have a million dollar New Balance internship. LaMelo Ball owns part of a team in New Zealand, right? And so I think what Dr. J went on to say about LeBron is that he's empowered himself to empower other people. And he's been very generous with his platform. So that's what I explored. Um, I, I talked to you know LeBron briefly about how things had changed since Shut Up and Dribble, and he kind of laughed it off and, and just said you know that he always knew that that his legacy would be bigger than basketball. And and you hear that a lot. It's become um, a cliche, but I, I tried to break that down page by page and how um, guys really wanted to push it forward. How they were feeling like they didn't have to worry about the rookie contract anymore. They didn't have to settle for retweets or uh, you know big photo op oversized check moments they could get to know people on the ground and you know even kevin durant's out here uh, in in direct messages with kids trying to trying to help them out and i think you know we get on him for being you know clapping back on folks like you and me and and nobodies a lot of whom i interviewed um going back and forth on twitter but these guys really are affected by by changing one little life and and i tried to approach that in a not corny way as best i could yeah, the, the, I would say the tricky part for me is, is I look at guys like, say, David Robinson or Steph Curry even, who I believe are trying to affect change in their own way. Uh, Steph is an empowerment of, of young girls, right? Mm-hmm. And what he's done um, with, uh, with, uh, with his shoe company. And, uh, and David Robinson with like, 20 some charter schools that he's opened. Uh, and I kind of get caught in this and it's, and this may be generational, right? Cause I'm working with Emmanuel Atro on speak for yourself. And he's like, right. he is the king of self-promotion, which is just generally like I came up into the business. You let your work speak for itself, right? You, you didn't, you weren't out there advertising yourself. And yet I recognize that that may not be utilizing a tool like that, there is power in doing that, right? And so I wonder if there's a distinction between what LeBron and Kyrie and others are doing today versus what Steph is doing or David Robinson is doing in a quieter fashion. If there's if I'm if I'm being fair and saying, you know what, I really admire the guy who's doing it and not trying to draw any attention to himself for it in any way as opposed to the guy who's kind of utilizing it to, I can't help but feel like some of, some of them are trying to reshape the way they're perceived for other reasons and saying, no, but I am a good guy. See what well, there, I'm doing. There, there is a lot of legacy polishing. There is a lot of over planning when you have LeBron having a streaming show about making his I Promise school, right? And, and he's got more than a vote, which was really created as a, platform for safe political content that kind of fell into being a, an advocacy group that the NBA leaned on. And then you've got Kyrie, who is actually trying to rebuild his high school and pays tuition for like half the kids there and shows up at practice and doesn't take credit for it. But he also, his team is re- hesitant to let a lot of that out because he doesn't really know how to rebuild the school with like his boys, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. know how to solve the water crisis in Africa. And so there's that kind of DIY do-gooder humanitarianism that gets a little lost if you're not letting Nike help you, if you're not letting LeBron Inc. help you. And so I think there is a little bit of 
um, do-gooders caught on their heels. And I think that's what has happened again and again, especially with these police killings. With the, with the buck strike, I remember talking to Sterling Brown well before that and saying, you know, some guys do it for the clout. You know, when he got a knee on his neck for parking across two spots outside of a drugstore on a date, you know, he realized that he fell into this activism thing. He didn't want to be political. A lot of these guys right. don't want to be political. But I think as Obama told LeBron, CP, Iggy, Mello, Russ on that night when the entire sports world was on the brink after the Bucks just decided not to play, you know, you need to have a plan. Like any good movement, you need to get ahead of the next sadly inevitable tragedy. And I think that's something I explored in a GQ story is how, it, how are NBA superstars getting out there marching on Washington or at least trying to use their influence for action rather than for the clout, for the gram, yeah. for that TV show about your own school. So what has been the response from those that are prominent in the book? The Nets strategy is always kill it with silence. And so they were happy to look the other way and try to ignore it as, they, as best they could. You know, I didn't go looking for dirt. That was kind of my deal with Katie and Kyrie, but 400 plus interviews later, some emerged. There was Steve Kerr kind of went off on Katie's Twitter and phone addiction. And so that got out there and Katie clapped back and did not to question my reporting. I think that's what is instructive right. to me is they were just questioning Steve Kerr. You know, Kyrie's questioning the system. But I think the the reaction has been, wow, this is really what's going on, kind of unvarnished. Also, who is this guy who didn't tweet for two years while he was doing this and now he's just dropping these bombshells? Right. So my mentions have been a little like, who the hell are you, you know, white dude, you know, out here doing the, the, the woke mission of, of player empowerment? Um, right. But it's something I care deeply about in terms of those larger themes. And maybe I, I burned a few bridges, but I don't have these relationships to protect for the rest of my life because my, my next book probably won't be about sports. And I, I think people like to, to get behind the curtain and, and curl up with, the, with a nice book about all that for the summer. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a sad state of where we are because I feel as if if you're honest and fair, Okay, so you may not like everything that was in the book. Or you may not like everything that I wrote, but I didn't do anything underhanded. I didn't do anything untoward. And I've always believed that people are seeking the truth, that, mm. that they may not necessarily like the truth. They may not like the way the truth represents them, but they're not going to like they're not going to hold it against you that you wrote or spoke the truth. And I not, I'm not sure that that's always the case now. <laughs> like, I think now it's a matter of if I can do away with you for not presenting things the way I wanted them presented, then I'm going to. And, uh, and, and that makes me a little bit sad. That last well, question. Especially since, since we live in kind of a propaganda era, sadly, of the pandemic, where there's no locker room relationships, these guys can answer questions as they want and leak stuff to their favorite True. reporters without True. having to face honest journalism. True, true. No, an excellent point. I mean, it's become transactional to a certain extent, right? With reporters, where if you're going to present it the way I want it, uh, or spin it the way I want it, then I'll give you the story. Um, oh, you're not? Well, I know someone over here who will. So thanks a lot. Uh, before I let you go, just as a, um, well, as a Knicks fan, um, 
So what's your view of what's going to happen with the Nets and the Knicks this season and sort of moving forward for where, where those teams find themselves? You know, the vibe when the Nets were rolling before Harden got hurt, before Kyrie got hurt, was incredible at Barclays. That being said, throughout the season when I was there before the pandemic, it was a bit like a Dodgers game. Folks rolling in after having a beer outside the arena, kind of the equivalent of the fourth inning, right? And there are diehards, ride or dies from Jersey, but the Knicks still dominate the tabloids and just the chatter on the subway with good reason. I don't know if the Knicks are assembling anything close to a super team or, you know, fourth seed may never happen ever again. I'm sure, you know, Kyrie wants to go at Kemba in the playoffs. He said that he, he, when he, when I was reporting, he was hanging out in his living room, looking at Kemba's best games, looking at how to steal moves. And so I, I think there will be a vibe, but I also think it will be mostly Knicks fans in Barclays center for those head to head games. Yeah. And then I think, once the playoffs really pick up and, and this team starts rolling and, you know, maybe starts to have a little bit of that Warriors feel where you're just running up the score. I, I think people will come and I think there'll be a lot of uh, Johnny come lately fans from all over the country too. Well, I'm just glad that that, that, that last little bit of, uh, of Matt Sullivan that I heard was the Knicks fan coming through that the experience of writing this book hasn't fully killed your sports fandom mentality when it comes to the Knicks. Cause I heard I heard a lot of quiet pride in where it's things crying out for help. It's crying out deep down inside <laughs> of me, Rick. Someday, someday. No, it's it's really good stuff. Um, Matt Sullivan, award-winning magazine author. He's written the book "Can't Knock the Hustle: Inside the Season of Protest, Pandemic, and Progress with the Brooklyn Nets Superstars of Tomorrow." Amazon. Where else can people find the book? I think the best place to go is uh, my publisher, HarperCollins website at hc.com slash the hustle. That's where you can get uh, the book on every form, medium, big box store and local bookstores support, support your independent booksellers more than now than ever and, and get Rick's book too, to keep fighting the good fight um, for Parkinson's something close to my heart to appreciate everything you do on that man. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate the time. Appreciate you old friend. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matt. A little bit of a twist for On the Ball, but we will be back to the norm in our next podcast. Team USA will have played France for the gold medal, and the final throws of NBA free agency should be finished. We've got to get into some of the teams in the Eastern Conference and the moves that they've made, particularly the Chicago Bulls and the New York Knicks. All of that will be coming your way in upcoming episodes. In the meantime... As always, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 